Real quick, if you have served before or you are currently serving, would you stand with me for a second? Just stand for a minute. Let us honor you. Come on, church. Let's honor our veterans today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You can be seated. It's, it's exciting to look across the room and see so many, so many that are serving, so many that have served. Uh, my grandfather served as well as my wife's grandfather. And so, I, you know, not only do I know the impact of it in, in that avenue as far as family goes, but I have good friends that are serving and have served. And um, when I watch videos like that, there's just that moment where you kind of realize, like, everything that I'm doing on a daily basis really doesn't compare to what our veterans are doing. And so uh, we take a moment just to honor you, to say thank you so much for all that you do. We wouldn't even be able to be here today in freedom without you. Um, and so it is a privilege to take a few moments and just bring attention and honor to you. My name is Troy. Me and my wife, Darla, get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us, as Anobia said, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, we've really had some great fun over the past couple of weeks getting to meet new faces and get them connected. And so I love to meet you. I love to kind of put a name to a face and hear your story and hear what brought you here to Victory, as well as you attending Growth Track and finding out more about the church and not only uh, what the church can do, but what, what you can do through the church and at the church. And so if you are visiting, I encourage you to do that. Grab that free gift from us, please, so that we can connect with you. And also, if you got a moment, come through Grow Track and hear a little bit more about victory. I do want to say a couple of things before we get into the word today. Um, we, at the end of, ever since we launched the church, so if you're visiting with us, let me give you a little bit of details. Uh, we launched the church in 2018, January of 2018, in a school, Rock Springs Middle School in Smyrna, Tennessee. And then April of this year, we were able to move into our facility here in Antioch, and we're so excited. In a couple of weeks, the next two Sundays are very big. Next Sunday, we're going to have water baptism. It's going to be an incredible Sunday morning. And then the next Sunday, I'm going to be sharing the vision for December and into the first six months of 2023. So you want to be here to hear that and be a part of it. But um, from the very beginning, we have done what we call Purpose Prevails. It's an end-of-the-year offering where the challenge is... For all of those that are currently tithing and trusting God with your finances, we say, hey, look back on your year, see where God's been faithful, and then pray and ask God what he would have you give as an end-of-the-year gift, as an offering. You're going to hear me talk about it a little bit today. Um, but I always say this, if you pray and God says, give nothing, give nothing. There's no pressure here. It's just a concept of you. If you're already trusting God with your finances to pray and say, God, I want to honor you. You've blessed me so much through these 365 days. And as Zenobia joked with inflation and everything, it's sometimes it's a miracle to look back and go, God, I don't know how you got me through all that, but you did. And so it's just an opportunity for us as believers to pray and let God speak to our hearts and then give out of faith at the end of the year, that's purpose prevails. And then last year, we added something called God's guarantee. And what God's guarantee is this, is I started thinking, okay, for people who are tithing, they get to take this step of faith in purpose prevails. But what about those who have yet to take that step uh, uh, in tithing? And I do want to say this. If you don't tithe, don't give in purpose prevails. Consider tithing first. I believe there's a lot of blessing and promise in the principle of tithing. And so before you go to go, I'm going to give this big gift. No, no pray about tithing. And so we do what's called God's guarantee. And what that is, is that we give you a 90-day window because sometimes, I said this last week, the, the biggest struggle with tithing is fear. And so we give you 90 days to give faithfully and see God sustain you. And if God doesn't, then after those 90 days, we'll give you all of the money that you've tithed back. 
Now listen, I know that sounds like it's a little crazy. Uh, part of it is because the word says to test God when it comes to finances. But we also have all kinds of things. You know, we, we got to keep up with your money. We got to know what you're doing because I don't want you coming to me after 90 days and telling me you tithed $400,000 over the past nine months and I got to come up with that. And so, uh, so it's, just, it's just an encouraging time for you. We'll be handing out these cards at the end of this month and in the beginning of December for you to read about, pray about. But it really is a great opportunity for tithers to step out in faith and, and honor God with an above tithe gift. And then it's a really great opportunity for those who have never tithed to test God in that principle and to see God provide. Um, I really don't know where I would be in my life if I couldn't trust God in my life financially, especially as things are so up and down in our world when it comes to finances. Uh, you never know when you might wake up and have a flat tire. You never know when all of a sudden ga gas is going to jump from you know, $2 to $5. And so it's important to really trust God in that area of finances. Now, to wrap around this whole purpose prevails, God's guarantee, I always take a few weeks at the end of the year to preach specifically on giving. We don't talk a lot about it uh, throughout the year. We'll mention it a little bit during offering and different things like that. But it's times for me to bring your attention to Scripture and to show you the promises that God gives us about our finances. And we try to bring it from a different avenue, make it fun and exciting, and make you leave here going, wow, I never thought about that. And last week we talked about how our faith is often, dis or our finances are often disguised faith. And that the, really it's, it's that step. And I talked about, I don't know if you were here, but I talked about how the very first time I ever gave was $40 when I was 18, 19 years old. And then to fast forward 14 years, and God asked me to move my entire family to a place I'd never been before to plant a church. And I just believe that that was God building my faith in all of those years in giving. And so hopefully that was an encouraging message. If you haven't heard it, I encourage you to jump online and check it out. But today I want to talk to you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is in the New Testament. It'll be right after 1 Corinthians. It's the way math works. So 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians. Um, here's what's happening before we read. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing a letter to the church in Corinth. That's where Corinthians is. When he writes the a letter to the church in Galatia, it's Galatians. When he writes to, um, you know, di different church in Romans, it's the church of Rome. And so, again, he's writing to the church in Corinth, but he's writing to them about the churches in Macedonia and something that they did. So when we refer to Macedonian churches, that's what he's talking about, all right? So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm going to read about eight verses, and then we'll go from there. It says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace, everybody say grace, grace. the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty came together and welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, this is Paul saying, I testify that they gave as much as they were able, watch this, and then even beyond their ability. For entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, he's talking to that church in Corinth, 
You excel in faith and you excel in speech and in knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. Everybody say grace Grace. of giving. I'm not commanding you. I love this. Paul says, I'm not commanding you. This is one thing we built this church on. When we get ready to do something financially, you'll hear me get up here and say, we did it and we did it because of your faithfulness. Our goal is never to get up here and go, we want to do this, but you got to pay for it. it. It's an idea. It's no command on you. It's grace. And so you're going to hear me talk about this. So good. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnest of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty might become rich. I want to talk to you real quick from this idea. Teach me how to give. Teach me how to give. Uh, when I was about, I, I never can quite remember the age. Some of you have heard this story, but when I was about 17 or 18 years old, I had the opportunity to go with our church, and for the very first time, I was going to tube. Uh, that, that when y'all get on one of the tubes and you're behind the speedboat, and the speedboat moves you, you know, that, that kind of concept. And so I had the opportunity for the first time ever to go tubing. And uh, I'd never been tubing. I grew up in the hood. We didn't do tubing. You know, I mean, that was not a such thing. The only body of water we had was a puddle. And you don't tube in puddles. And so, you know, that, that's what it was. So we get out in the water, and I had a good friend of mine, and the pastor, his name was Jason, was in the boat, and he was doing the driving, and there was a friend of mine whose name was Laverne. And I said to Laverne, I said, I, I've never done this before, and it was, my, it was my turn to get on the tube and go. And I said, I've never done this before. And he said, it's pretty simple. He said, what you want to do is, he said, when you're going, you're going to feel the tube leaning to one of your sides. And he said, when it leans to the left, you lean to the left. And I was like, that doesn't sound right, but okay. So I get on the tube, and we go. And I mean, I'm on the tube for seconds, as you can imagine. And it starts to lean, and I lean, and it flips over in the water. And so if you've ever been tubing, I had to climb up on the tube, right? It's exhausting. Get back in the tube. Give them the thumbs up. Like, let's do this again. Started going. Sure enough, it started leaning to the right. So I leaned to the right. Flip over again. Now, this went on, I'm not lying, about five or six times because the pastor had a lot of faith in me. Um, and, and finally, he just said, hey, hey, Troy, why don't you go ahead and come on in? Like, I don't, I don't think this is going to work for you. And so I got on the boat. And later on that, a couple, I don't know, probably 30, 45 minutes later, uh, he's talking to me because now it's about time for me to get back out there. And he goes, hey, Troy, real quick. He said, have you ever tubed before? And I said, no, today is the first day. And he said, who taught you how to tube? I said, Laverne did. He said, well, what did he teach you exactly? I said, he taught me that when it leans, lean that way. And he started laughing and he said, he taught you wrong. He said, when you lean left, when it leans left, you what? You lean right, all right? Where were y'all when I was 17 years old? You know what I mean? And, and so again, what, what happened in that scenario is I was taught incorrectly. And so no matter how many times I got back on that tube, I was destined to fall off of it because how I was taught. Too often, we are incorrectly taught about giving. We're either taught through tradition or, you know, how our parents were raised or how our grandparents were raised or maybe our theology's off a little bit. And it's just happening too often that that people, believers, are taught incorrectly about giving. Sometimes we're taught to give because of greed, right? Man, if you give, you'll get. If you give this, God will give you more. That's greed that's inspiring that giving. And then sometimes we're taught to give because of guilt. And guilt is, oh, if I don't give, God's going to hate me or God's going to kick me out of heaven or whatever. And both of those are wrong. 
And so we're either guided by this greed that if I give something, God's going to give me, or we're guided by this guilt that if I don't give, God's not going to give me, right? And either one are bad. And eventually, watch this, in God's economy, the motive is just as important as the gift. In God's economy, the motive behind why you give is just as important. In other words, why we give is just as important as what we give. The heart behind why we give is just important as the amount that we give. I shared last week that almost half of Jesus' parables were about giving in some type of concept. And here's the reason for that. When Jesus steps on the scene, when he comes in as human body, especially when he starts his ministry at 33 years old, well, I think it's 30 years old, but as soon as he starts his ministry, watch this, there is already such an incorrect view of finances that the idea of giving in the culture of that day was so off. Everybody was giving because of a law. The law, and I talked about it a little bit last week, that law, which was that 10% tithing, that's what people were doing. Now, the law wasn't bad, but watch this. Because it was a law, they were giving not because their heart wanted to give, but they were giving because they had to. And anytime you do something because you have to, not only will you not enjoy it, but you're only going to do the least of what you have to do. Okay? Here's an example. One of the laws that you can't stand is called the speed limit. All right? It's out there, and you can't stand it. You don't want to do it because you have to do it, and you don't even do it. Right? There's not a person in this room that doesn't go at least five miles over the speed limit because we all know that five miles over is the speed limit. Right? That is how it works. And so, again, this is what's happening in culture. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and watch this. He says, this is all wrong. So I've got to change your mindset on giving so that you understand what it means to give in a, with a heart of God and with grace. And so he starts teaching things that they had never heard of before. For example, he taught things like this, be generous. They had never heard of that. Be generous. No, we're going to give 10, not 10.1%, not 10.5%. We are going to give 10% and that's it. This, this idea of generosity just didn't exist. Think about how many stories you hear in the Bible where people did not want to be generous. So Jesus came in and he was teaching this. Here's another thing he taught that was mind-blowing for them. Forgive your debts. They couldn't grasp that because debts, they were expecting to get that money back. So the idea that they would just forgive and forget was unheard of. Here's some other things Jesus taught. Don't flash your wealth to build yourself up. They couldn't understand that because they were all about walking around and showing how much money they had and showing how rich they were. This was a normal thing for them. So this idea to not flash your wealth to build you up, but to then give your wealth to be able to build God up, that, that was something different for them. Watch this. Store up treasure in heaven, not earth. And here's another thing that he said. Security and wealth can stop you from recognizing your need for God. That sometimes our security and wealth, we're so secure in wealth, that sometimes it's hard for us to recognize how much we need God. So these were just some of the things that Jesus is teaching. But when you and I give out a guilt or we give out a greed, it ultimately leads to resentment. Any person that is giving towards God out of guilt or greed, it will eventually lead 
to resentment. It'll either lead to resentment because what you expected God to do in return, he didn't do. And so therefore you feel like God owes you and now you're mad about it. Or because you feel guilty and you think you have to perform to earn God's love, those will move you into resentment. But Jesus knew this. He knew that once you and I fully understood the gospel of grace, when we fully understood how much he loved us, we would not give because we're guilty. We would give because we're grateful. Isn't that awesome? Here's what Jesus believed, that once you heard the gospel, that once you understood Christ's love for you, that giving would no longer be an obligation out of guilt or greed, but it would be a celebration out of how grateful you are for Jesus. And that's what we read in 2 Corinthians 8. The Macedonians did not give because of greed or guilt. They gave because of grace. And so I don't know if you guys have ever heard this before, but I want to share with you a message that is both giving and grace. Both. Sometimes it's hard for us to believe that those two could fall into the same category, but it's true. And so what today is about is about giving motivated by grace. Giving that's motivated by grace. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to read a couple of verses to you. We'll dive in a little bit deeper. All right. Here's what Paul says. Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace. Everybody say grace. grace. That God has given the Macedonian churches. God has given these churches grace. Well, tell us about it. Well, what does that grace look like, Paul? Well, in the midst of a very severe trial, in the midst of inflation, in the midst of all kinds of difficulties where they should not be able to give because they're struggling, in the midst of it, in the middle of it, they're overflowing joy. Hey, what are they happy about? Does anybody know? They're happy about the grace of Jesus Christ. They're not happy about the trials they're going through. They're happy about what God has done for them. They are having a revelation that God is not law, but God is love, and that is overwhelming in their spirit. They're joyful. They're happy about it. So in the middle of a severe trial, with their overflowing joy of Jesus Christ and his love and his mercy and his grace, but watch this, mixed with their extreme poverty. Wee! right? Like, yay! They are broke as a joke. I don't really know what that means, but I always heard that growing up. But they're broke, but they're happy. You ever been broke and happy? I don't even know that that's a real thing. But they are joyful and they are poor. And both of those things come together and they well up in generosity because their understanding of God's grace overcomes their current situation. He goes on to say, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. So because they stood on the grace of God, even though they were poverty-stricken, they gave not only what they were able, but they gave beyond their ability. Real quick, listen to me. The only thing that ever allows you to do or give or be beyond your ability is the grace of God. The reason why, can I, can I be honest? The reason, I'll share a quick story for you. One time, uh, at the end of every year, Purpose Reveals, Dawn and I would get excited to be able to write a check. And one year, I felt like the Lord had put an amount on my heart 
But it was, I think it was 2020, and a lot of stuff had happened, and I spent more money than I expected because I was, you know, you start living lavishly in your home, and you forget that there's a world that exists. And, and all of a sudden, I, I, the amount I wanted to write, I could write it, but I wasn't sure that we could afford it. But I felt like God had put that amount on my heart, and so he wrote that check, and we gave it. Towards the end of December is when we gave it a couple weeks before. January 1, or really it was 2nd. January 2nd, my pastor from Oklahoma called me and just to check up on me. And then he said, hey, by the way, we got a check coming to you in the mail. And he go, told me the amount, and it was the exact same amount that we had written to the church. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. The grace of God allows us to do our, our, what we're able to do and beyond that ability. You have to believe that. We can never find ourselves in a place that's about giving without grace. Because the second we're about giving without grace, now it's just the law. And our hearts are not right, and we start to resent it. Now, grace is a rich word for God to apply to giving. Uh, this is the first time I've ever preached grace with giving. I've preached grace a lot. It's one of our main topics here because I just believe that you need to walk out of here being excited about the life you get to live with Jesus Christ. But I've never connected it with giving until now. And I think it's a rich word. But it, here's what it proves to me. That you and I as believers are to live by grace in every aspect of our lives, including our finances. When, we, when We're so excited to say, I live by grace. Why? What does that mean? If I live by grace, I live by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm not righteous by my acts, but by Jesus' acts. But if we're not careful, we will have grace on our lives and separate our finances, yeah. right? But God says, no, grace in every area, including your finances. Listen to this. Giving built on grace is not dictated by ability. If my salvation by grace is not dictated by my ability, then either is my giving. It has nothing to do with me being well off. Instead of viewing giving as a command, grace allows me to view giving as a privilege. Every morning, my seven-year-old, Casey Ray, her, her breakfast every morning is two Eggo waffles. Well, uh, Aldi's version. We ain't paying $4 for Eggo waffles. They're the same thing, just frozen cardboard. And so we get them out, and she loves Nutella. We put Nutella on them. That's her breakfast every morning, two Ego waffles or whatever Aldi calls them, and, 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 and Nutella. And so whenever it's mornings for me to fix it, what I like to do is I put Nutella on one, and then I take the other one, and I put it on top, and then I cut it like that because it's easier to cut, okay? I'm telling you this for a reason. And so I would cut it into 10 pieces. And one day I did this, and since then I do it every time. I take one piece, and I eat it. Part of it is because I'm hungry. You know, I had anything to eat. I'm hungry. The other part of it is she owes me. You know what I mean? I gave birth to her. She owes me. Just kidding, ladies. Just kidding. <laughs> Wife's not here today. She's at home with a sick kid, so I can, I can roll with this. Um, so, so one day I do it. I, I take one. I, I eat it. And I put the waffles in front of Casey Ray. And she goes, oh. That was her, that was her response. Oh. You know, uh, lay, lay hands on you in the name of Jesus. You know? And I said, what? What is it? What is it? She said, you ate one of my waffles. I said, now hold on. I said, let's just, let me just help you real quick, young, young child. I'm the one that went to Aldi's, grocery shopped, and bought those waffles. I'm the one who paid for those waffles. 
I'm the one who woke up before you woke up to cook those waffles. I'm the one who spread Nutella on those waffles. I'm the one that cut those waffles. I'm the one that now laid these waffles in front of you as you look like a zombie getting out of bed. The least you could do is give me one piece of waffle. And that's exactly what I said to her. And I'm not lying to you. She looked at me and she went, didn't take two. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> don't be, don't, nah, she's, nah, we won't go there. But, but in my mind, I'm like, okay, that's what I'm talking about. That's understanding giving out of privilege, right? It's not a command. Well, you got to take one more waffles, dad. They're my waffles. Versus you should have two. Because guess what? You're the one that bought them, and you're the one that made them, and you're the one that cut them. If, when we begin to understand the principle of our relationship with Jesus Christ, that's what it looks like when it's not a command to give, but it's a privilege. Our giving is rooted in our response to God's grace. Your, your giving is rooted in your response to God's grace. When we know, watch this, when we know that our lives are not our own, neither will we think that our possessions are our own. When we know that our life isn't, my entire life is not my own, then I definitely know that my possessions aren't. It's easy, I love this, it's easy to surrender part when we've already given the whole. It's easy for me to surrender my finances to God when I've surrendered my life, right? Rather than seeing tithing as a rule that has to be followed, We approach giving as a way of furthering God's kingdom and as a way of acknowledging that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Here's what's crazy. When you're reading 2 Corinthians chapter 8, y'all, Paul actually starts by saying, hey, Macedonian churches, don't give. He actually starts by telling them, no, 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 you don't need to give. You're you're looking rough. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's not, not looking great for you. Don't worry about it. Other people will give. God will provide. You know, don't, don't worry about it. But then in response, watch this. The Macedonian churches are begging Paul for the opportunity to give. Could you imagine a church where the people are walking in the door begging to give their money? That, hey, pastor, before you preach, hold on. I'm gonna, wait, what's my tithe? Like, could you imagine people begging to give? What would produce that in somebody? Why would the Macedonian churches be begging to give? Because they were overwhelmed with God's grace. And when you're overwhelmed with God's grace on your life, then every aspect of your life, you are begging to give it to Jesus. (laughs) One time, I had a friend. uh, I think he bought us lunch one time or something. And so I was trying to, whatever it was, it cost 20 bucks. And so I wanted to give him the 20 bucks back. I didn't want him to spend the 20 bucks on me. And so we were standing in the church, and I said, hey, man, here you go. Here's that 20 bucks I owe you. And he said, I don't want it. I said, no, 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 take it. He said, I don't want it. I said, come on, man, I owe it to you. He said, it's my gift. And I said, look, you're not leaving here without this money. And he said, I'm not taking it. And he turned around like this, and I stuck it in his back pocket as he walked away. And so I went on and started doing all the things, and everything started going on. And I get to, uh, I think I got into the car to leave. And I look over and Darla goes, hey, Brian wanted you to have this. And he hands me a $20 bill. And I was like, no. So I put the car in park, ran out, and I ran up to the car, and I was knocking on the window. 
And when he rolled the window and talked to me, I threw the $20 bill in the car window and took it. I was like, no, running away like that. But it was just this continual, would you believe it, that somehow that $20 bill still ended up in my wallet? To this day, I don't know how he did it. He's like a magician. But it was just this attitude and excitement to give because I was so thankful and grateful for what he had done that I wanted to give. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? For us to get into a place where we're so grateful for who God is, so grateful for what Jesus has done for our life, that we are begging to give everything to him, that we are excited to give. Well, whatever happened, let's just be honest for a second. Can I, let's just kind of treat this like one of those red table talks or whatever, where I'm just sitting here and we're just having a chit chat. Whatever happened to the church to move to a place where believers are frustrated to even talk about giving? What could have happened? I think it was the same thing that Jesus came to stop. It had become a law instead of doing it out of grace. We don't give from an external obligation. That's law. We give from an internal motivation. That's grace. Our giving flows from love, not law. So it's a, it's not a got to, but it's a get to. Does that make sense? You see, when I started off with this whole idea of teaching you how to give, what I really want to do is go back and address that foundational issue when it comes to giving. Because at some point, some of us fall into giving by law. And eventually it'll lead to resentment. But when you understand that we don't give, we will never give out of an external obligation. When it becomes that, keep your money. But when we're giving out of an internal motivation, we're motivated by grace, by God's love for us. So I ask this question, but I don't need answers. If, if you don't give faithfully to God, why don't you? What's, what's your reason? I, I, some people will obviously say, I just I can't afford it. And I would tell you that you can't afford not to. I would tell you that's what God's guarantee is all about, is to be able to show you that the best decision you'll ever make in your life financially is to trust God with your finances. I, I said this last week. I've, the testimony of every person I've ever talked to who tithes says they're blessed. Testimony of every person I've talked to who doesn't tithe says they can't afford to tithe. It's proven. It's proven. But can I tell you a conversation I've had with people recently about one of the reasons that they don't give, and I just thought I'd address it real quick. They say that tithing is an Old Testament practice and that we live in a New Testament world, right? Like that Old Testament law that was under the law, now we're under grace, so we don't tithe because that was the law. 10% was the law, and Christ fulfilled the law, and all that's very true. All that's very true. But there's a couple of things I want to be able to explain to you about that in case that's ever been your mindset. What I find a lot of times is that people who have that mindset are looking for a way to get out of giving. They're not passionately wanting to give to God, but they're just not sure on the percentage. They're wanting to find a way to not give and then justify not giving. So they go, oh, tithing was the Old Testament. We live in the New Testament. Most people who say that don't even know what they're talking about, but they say it because they heard it somewhere and it makes sense. But let me give you a couple of thoughts. 
First of all, I could tell you that there are scriptures in the New Testament where Jesus confronts the tithe. There's one exactly where Jesus tells some, some Pharisaic people who are tithing, but they're doing it with an with a angry heart. He tells them, you should tithe, but you should do it with a cheerful heart. That's basically what he says. But I'm going to go a little bit beyond that. The next thing I want to tell you is this. Would you agree that everything that was bad under the law is still bad under grace? Let me explain. Murdering was bad under the law. Would you agree it's still bad under grace? Right? Yeah. Uh, lying was bad under the law. Would you agree that it's still bad under grace? Stealing was bad under the law. Would you still agree it's bad under grace? If you don't, then give me your wallets. You know what I mean? Like, like, like just, my point is that if it's bad, chill out. If it's bad under the law, it's bad under grace. Likewise, if it's good under the law, wouldn't it still be good under grace? For example, honor your mother and father. That's good, right? It'd still be good under grace. Here's the only difference between law and grace. Is anything good under the law was a have to. What's good under grace is a get to. Honor your father and mother under the law. That's me having to honor my mother and father. That's me. I honor you, dad. Me doing it under grace is I get to, right? Make sense? So here's what that means. That if tithing, which was good under the law, is also good under grace. It's just you go from you have to to you get to. But that's still not the point I wanted to bring to you about this principle. Here's the thought I really wanted to bring to you. Every time Jesus points to an old covenant law, he then sets a higher standard under new covenant grace. Watch. The law says you shouldn't murder. But I say, grace, you shouldn't even be angry. Right? The law says you shouldn't commit adultery. I say you shouldn't even look at somebody like that. What Jesus always did was said, the law sets this standard, but in grace, it's a higher standard. You know why? Because I'm doing this through Jesus. This is without Jesus. So there's only so much I can do. This is with Jesus. So Jesus could raise the bar because he was the one responsible for it. So here's what that's really saying. You ready? Any person that's ever like, I, I don't tithe because it's in the Old Testament. Here's what Jesus was actually telling you. That you should give more than 10%. That if the law says this, then grace says this. Now, let me say this to you real quick. And this is not bragging. This is leading. Darla and I do not give 10% monthly to this church. And you go, all right, honey, get your bags. Let's go. If you look at our finances, you will see 10% technically monthly. But if you look at the money at the end of the year and you do it to the money we brought in, the percentage is higher than 10%. One year for our purpose prevails check, and please hear me, I'm not bragging, I'm leading you. One time for our purpose prevails check, we were blessed because of God. We were able to write a check that was worth four months of tithing. So when you look at, when you get to the end of the year and you looked at the books of the church and you looked at Troy and Darla and you went over and you were somehow able to have our salary and do the percentage, you would see it was more than 10%. Why? Because I live in grace. I don't live by the law. 
I could get to the end of the year, purpose prevails, and I could say to the church, I've given 10%. I don't need to give anymore. But I don't live by the law. I live by grace. And so I'm so overwhelmed and, and empowered by the grace of Jesus Christ that I'm not limited to a percentage. I'm limited to whatever God wants to do through me. And so I never get to look back and go, well, well, God, I've given 11%. You owe me back 1%, God, because that's how the law goes. And that's how the law was. But I'm telling you, when you fully grasp what Jesus has done for your life, you don't even need to know a percentage because it's not about percentages. It's about, God, I'm so blessed. blessed. How could I not give? Does this make sense? I don't want us to be a church that gives out of law. I want us to be a church that's giving out of grace. Because I think if you give out of grace, you're a lot more happier when you give. You know what I mean? There is a relationship between grace and giving. And I believe this. When we don't fully understand God's love and God's grace for us, we will often have difficulty giving. So I asked a minute ago, why don't you give? Just for your own personal thoughts. I don't need to know. Nobody in this room needs to know. But I couldn't help but wonder if maybe for some of us, it's that we don't fully understand God's love and God's grace for us. Uh, I, I'm, I've testified to you this before. I'm, I'm a cheap person by nature. Um, I've been very poor before in my life. I know what it's like to have cards declined at Kroger, and I don't ever want to go back to that. And so Darla will come to me and tell me what purchases we need to make, and I'll be like, do we really need to make that purchase, though? And she's like, well, the kids need shoes. And I'm like, but do they really? You know what I mean? Like, they got socks. Isn't that good enough? Just put some tape around their feet or something, duct tape, the sticky kind, you know what I mean? And send them to school. Like, do they really need it? But it was so funny. The other day, uh, we had to get a birthday present for, for one of my kid's friends. And because of our schedules, it was my job to do it. And so I ran up to the store, and the whole time I'm doing it, I'm debating with Darla, like, how expensive do we need to go on this gift? You know what I mean? Like, how much do we love this family? Let's be honest. I'm kidding. Um, but I was just trying to be very, very smart about not going broke on a birthday present. You know, we have a lot of friends. There's a lot of birthday parties throughout the year. And so I'm having this whole conversation, and, you know, Darla's like, get over it and get something good for the kid. And I'm like, okay. So I get to the store, and I'm in the store, and I've got the kids' gifts. I'm sending Darla pictures. Like, is this okay? Because I don't know what kids like. And so I'm like, is this okay? Is this okay? And I, my, my littlest is really into Baby Yoda. Like, everything's Baby Yoda. I know that's not its name. It's like Groku or something like that. I don't know. Um, but, but it's all over her room. So I see these socks that are, that are Baby Yoda. And then my oldest is really into Stranger Things, all right? So then I see these socks that are Stranger Things. And I'm like, oh, I got to get these for the kids. I got to get them for the kids. And I'm talking to Dolan. She's like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. She's like, I thought you said we could have. I said, but it's for the kids. Because like at that moment, like my love for them was what was making decisions, right? Because sometimes I'm so obsessed with finances but sometimes I have to visit what my heart's saying. You know what I mean? Let me show you this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I think it's the bedrock verse of this whole story. Talking about the Macedonian church, watch this. They gave themselves what? First of all to what? The Lord. And then 
by the will of God also to us. The Macedonian churches had fully grasped how much Jesus loved them. They had fully grasped God's grace. So they had given themselves to the Lord first. And then giving came naturally. When we give our hearts to the Lord first, when we're truly living with Jesus, for Jesus, grace, that giving thing becomes a lot easier because it's out of love, not law. Watch this. It won't do us any good to give our possessions to God unless we've first given ourselves. I hear people say all the time, I've been doing ministry for a lot of years, and it amazes me some of the things you hear people say. And some of it's true because there's some wackos out there. But I've heard people say things before like, you know, all God wants is my money, which is so hilarious to me because, you know, I've never received a bill from God. I would tell you that all God wants from you is your heart, that all God wants from you is a relationship. And that relationship produces the heart of giving. Giving things instead of ourselves can easily become a religion. And so therefore, we don't ever turn to Christ. (laughs) The other flip side of it is we'll be so law-driven that we'll give, but our hearts won't love Jesus. That's what these Pharisees were doing that I talked about where Jesus was talking to me. He said, yeah, you're giving, you're following through with the law, but your heart's not right. Like you're doing the law, but you don't have a relationship with me, and we can find ourselves in either boat. So to me, the root always goes back to a relationship with Jesus. I like what John Bunnell said. He said, if one first gives himself to the Lord, all other giving is easy. So when I wrote this message, I wrote down the title. I wrote, teach me how to give, because I was like, you know what? That's what we're going to teach, how to give from grace, how to give that's motivated grace. Teach me how to give. And as I was getting towards the end, and right now, I felt like the Lord told me, the title is not teach me how to give. The title is teach me how God loves me. Then I'll give. Don't don't teach me how to give. Teach me how much God loves me. And as a a result of understanding God's grace and love for my life, I want to give. Can I just preach to you for a second? If you're in this room and you can hear my voice, if you're watching online, God loves you. Not based off of what you do. He loves you by the grace of Jesus Christ. And if we will walk in that love, anything that we've ever thought was a command, anything that we've ever struggled with, we start to have a relationship with God in a way where it makes that easier. I was trying to think so hard. I've, I've preached a lot of messages on God's grace and on God's love. And I hope one day when I'm dead and whatever's happening with this church, hopefully that'll be a long, long time from now. I hope you'll look back on me and say, well, if there's anything he taught us, it's how much God loves us. It's the grace of Jesus Christ. And so I'm thinking through, I'm like, how do I, how do I? Because I, I felt like I might be here, which like I've said it. I've said everything I wrote down but I'm not 100% sure you've got it yet. Like you're close, but it's not quite there yet. I'm like, how do I, how do I help you realize what I'm trying to tell you? And this is the best way, I can, probably not the best way, 
but, but it's the best way I could come up with. A few weeks ago, my family and I got the opportunity to go to Panama City to see my dad for fall break. A lot of y'all know this. And I flew back home for church on Sunday, and then I flew back to Panama City to be with my family. Um, it's the first time I'd ever done that. Didn't want to do it necessarily, but it was kind of a last-minute thing that they were going to be able to have five more days at the beach, and I thought it was worth it for me to, to take on that task so that they could have that much more time at the beach. And um, <laughs> I get to the Panama City Airport, and I had to fly and connect to Atlanta, and then I had to fly from Atlanta back to Nashville, and then when I flew back, same way. So, so both flights were 45 minutes each, and the day of entering the airport and leaving the airport was about eight hours. Isn't that crazy? And so I'm sitting in the airport, and Darla's sending me pictures of her and the girls on the beach. And I'm doing that husband thing where I'm like, oh, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, you're so lucky, yeah. They're all sunshiny, beautiful day, and I'm sitting in this airport just, you know, going over my sermon, all trying to get back. So I get on the plane to fly. I'm on the plane flying home. And my favorite movie of all time, just so you know, is a movie called A Few Good Men. It's an older movie. It's a Tom Cruise movie, military. It's fitting for Veterans Day weekend, but my favorite movie. Never seen it on a plane to save my life. And I get on this plane, and I sit down, and, you know, everything's, when I got my headphones or whatever, and I'm just like, there's a TV in front of me on the plane, so I'm like, doop, 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 doop. And there's all these stupid movies, you know, and I'm just going through them, going through them, going through them. And as I'm going through them, boom, a few good men comes up. And I'm like, what? I know this means nothing to y'all, but just bear with me. I'm like, this is awesome. And so Darla sends me a text before we leave, and we start talking, and I said, babe, see, I can believe this. A few good men is playing on the plane. And she says a couple of different things, and, and I have the text message. Throw that up there for me real quick. Watch this. I said back to her, she said something about it being good, and I said, right. I wrote, God given me grace. And then she sent back that right there. And sometimes I can't relay to y'all what the Lord has done in me. But I'm sitting on that plane and when she sent back, he loves you. I just remember leaning back in my chair going, he really does. That the God of the universe sees his son unhappy because he's in an airport while his kids are on the beach. And that my God doesn't say, well, get over it, bucko. You know, what is it? Pull your pants up by the belt straps or whatever that whole stupid saying is. Be a big boy. God loves, and I believe, and maybe you might leave it today going, that dude has lost his mind. But here's what I believe with all of my heart, that my father loves me so much. He said, I'm going to give you your favorite movie so that you can just have a little bit of enjoyment in that moment. And I've kept, this happened weeks ago, and I've kept this text message in my, in my photos. And every once in a while, I'll go back and I'll look at it. And when I look at it, I'm just reminded. Of that. So, so here's my question for you. Ready? 
Let's get off me for a second. Let's put it on you. What's the last thing he did to tell you that he loves you? Because I know that my God's so big that every one of you got something. Something's happened. There's been a moment where God came through with a miracle. God healed your body. God restored you when you thought you'd never be here. God provided. There's been moments where God's been trying to tell you, hey, son, I love you. Hey, daughter, I love you. Would you stand with me, everybody, in this moment? Worship team, you go ahead and come up real quick. We're going to let the Holy Spirit roll in here for a second. I've never contradicted myself, but I think I did because I don't even want to talk to you about giving no more. I think you'll figure all that out later. What I need you to grasp is God's love for you. And I think there's a point where I have to stop and I have to let the Holy Spirit work because I don't know everybody's story and I don't know everybody's situation. And so would you do me a favor? Would you close your eyes? Father, I pray right now. I ask your Holy Spirit to do what I could never do. I remember that moment I got that text message and, and I, I just have to believe it was your Holy Spirit that overflowed my heart so much and it just let me know in that moment that God, you love me. And I think there could be people in here today that are second-guessing that. There's been some prayers you hadn't come through on, some moments they don't understand, and the enemy starts to attack us and make us believe that you don't love us. And I pray that this would be a moment that, Father, you would do whatever it is that you need to do to just affirm in hearts right now Whatever you said to the Macedonian churches, say to us. Overflowing joy. Overflowing love. Speak right now, Father, I pray. Speak right now to every person, to every heart. Remind them, remember when I did this. Remember when that happened? Remember when I stopped that from happening? I did it because I love you.